All right, everyone. Welcome to Magnifying God. I'm your host, Adam Michael. We've been unpacking this Prepare to Overcome book, and we're going to be doing it uh, the next couple episodes here. And uh, last week, we went through this idea of authority and what authority means. And that was chapter six of the book. Now, keep in mind, this is just the first section of Prepare to Overcome. There's four sections. Uh, and on top of that, this first section was broken down into a workbook prior to. And I've got that workbook right in front of me, and it's a jam-packed workbook. On top of that, we've now hit the seventh chapter of that workbook, and it is entitled Words. Now, I'm on that first page, and I'm looking at a pawn, and that pawn is resting upon... James, the Bible, it's a recipe on a Bible, and that Bible is turned to James. And James has a lot to say about words, well, which we're going to get into today. But we're going to start with this scripture passage, Matthew 12, 36 to 37. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And when I hear something like that, I have to take a step back. And I have to analyze any word that I had said that was careless, that was unfruitful, that was meaningless, that was worthless, that was actually tearing people's lives down, tearing their souls down. And I really have to keep myself in check here because when we speak, we're to be building people up in love, not tearing them down because it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And I can't explain how powerful these words are. I say that because you go back into Genesis, God spoke and things were created. The universe was created. Stars were created. The planets were created. All these things were created by the fact that he spoke them into existence. That's how powerful words are. Now, in our lives, I know that if I walk up to somebody and I punch them right in the face, or, yeah, it'll hurt, or if I say a word to them, that cuts to the core of them. It's the word that's going to last longer than me hitting them in the face. They'll recover from me hitting them in the face. You know, put a little ice pack on it. You know, not a big deal. And in two weeks, not two weeks, in about a week, they'll be fine. They'll go right back as normal. But if I say a word to them, that word's going to stick with them. And it could stick with them their entire lives. And that's why it's so important that when we use our words, we use them to be building up people, calling them up to who they really are. And everyone has the potential of being like Christ on this earth. Everyone has been made in his image, and he is beautiful, which means if he is beautiful, he is lovely, so is every person on this planet. 
So I know that if we go to a husband and wife, you know, a husband and wife, unfortunately, there's a lot of TV shows out there. Praise the Lord, I don't have a TV anymore. But there's a lot of TV shows that I remember watching that the husband and the wife would always bicker, always tear each other down. That's not how God intended it. And the problem, though, is that we learn this sarcasm, which is horrible. We learn this sarcasm, this way of talking, this way of thinking from the TV, from the television, from the world. And that's actually the opposite of how we should be speaking to one another. You know, that husband and wife tearing each other down, kind of poking fun at each other, you know, for a laugh. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want that. And, and his word now says that. So anytime we're thinking about, let's say, saying a negative word to someone that we know, someone that we love, know that that type of word is not there. That is a, a word from the enemy. Why would you want to be spewing words of the enemy? It just really doesn't make any sense. But the problem, though, is our culture, we've been grown up in this. And I know so many, I, I, I'm a teacher, I know so many students that are just carrying all this weight, all this hurt, all these problems because of something that somebody said. It could be something on body image. Next thing you know, what are they doing? They're starving themselves. You know, it, it could be something uh, on another realm. And then they're doing something because of that. Or they feel, they don't feel loved. They feel rejected. They feel all these things because of what people's words did to them. And then, then on top of that, when people actually become a Christian, they're still holding on to some of those past hurts and those, those thoughts. And they're believing the lie of what someone said. But it's God's word and God's words about that person. It's how God sees them. And when you realize how God sees you, like me personally, and, and what I've been called into, you'll see others like that. So be using your words in a loving way versus the opposite. But to expound on this, with that being said, We've got Debbie Simpson on the line who is going to be unpacking this idea of words, their importance, their power, and why we need to be very cautious of what we say. How's it going, Debbie? Really very good this morning, Adam. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thoroughly enjoying what you're sharing. This is really good stuff. Uh, all right. Take it away. Okay. Hey, listen. Um, this lesson regarding the believers use of words identifies the scriptures with its key words or definition of verb tenses in this chapter. That has been there. It's a resource to, to refer back to, to look, to investigate, to study deeply. And for each person who's reading the book, this is nothing more than a resource. But as this is being unpacked, we find that God has made clear the truth regarding words that he himself has established as foundational and as a principle in the running of his kingdom. The power of a believer's word stem from a believer's identity as a kingdom citizen and his authority as a representative of the kingdom citizen, as well as we discussed this on our last podcast, by virtue of his being human from Genesis in the garden and the mandate to rule over you know, the word to rule over the earth 
And what you mentioned in Matthew 12, that every word that we speak, we're going to give an accounting for it. Why? Because God's given us dominion over the earth. And think back, for instance, on, say, the owner of a company, a family-owned business. You can have employees in this business, and they can say whatever they want. It won't even be acknowledged, or at the most, they might get a look. They might get, you know, called into the office and reprimanded. But the son of the business owner, his words are extremely powerful. His words can cause someone to get fired. His words can cause someone, you know, through being fired to lose their livelihood. He needs to be very, very careful with his words because they have the backing of the Father. His words carry authority. We have to see ourselves as sons who have the backing of the Father and that the business, you know, the family-owned business is ruling and reigning on this earth as a minister of God to bring in his kingdom. We see in Genesis that God breathed life into Adam. You cannot speak without breathing. God's breath is the breath of life. When God breathes, life is birthed. We are made in the image of God. As born-again believers, we've received the spirit of living God. So when we speak, the spirit of God is what comes out. And as we've already shown, it's extremely powerful. If we're not walking and, and accomplishing the powerful purpose, but if we're speaking death words, then that power of death also comes out. That's a foundational understanding with the power of words and why. This chapter is another building block in this book, in the foundation that God is building up in our understanding. The subsequent lessons that we're going to be going into are going to build upon our understanding of the power of our words, just like it's going to be built upon our understanding of our authority and our identity. If we're not understanding and integrating and believing because of believing these truths, then everything that's going to be learned after this is going to be built on a faulty, crumbling foundation, and it will not stand. Okay. One of the subsequent chapters we're going to be discussing is going to be healing, in which, by example, given by Jesus, was often done with a word. So this brings me to the point that I'd like to discuss today. I believe God's word speaks for itself, and the truth regarding the power of words stands undisputed in the word of God. Unfortunately, there's much skepticism among believers regarding the power of words. In Christian circles and upon Christian pulpits, the topic of words is often taught under the heading prosperity gospel, or it's taught regarding the name and claimant heresy. And let me be clear on that. That is a heresy. That name and claimant, it's a heresy. But the reason given for rejecting or annulling the power of words almost always is founded upon experience. Example after example is given of genuine, well-meaning believers. 
strapped to a wheelchair with an oxygen mask and an IV pole, stating that stating of the many times they prayed and prayed in fervency and desperation and hope, yet nothing changed. The theology taught to reconcile the testimony of the word of God with the reality of the experience of man typically is either one, teaching or believing that God's word is in play, excuse me, that God's will is in play. Sometimes it's God's will to heal and sometimes it's not. Or the dispensational, cessational theology that states that the power of words to accomplish these things were a first century truth to establish the church but it's no longer in play for today. And if you were to ask them, how come it's no longer in play for today? You know, typically what they would say, it's been my experience, well, because you don't see it. No thought has been given that maybe the walls are broken down and the foundations are lying in desolation and destruction, as Isaiah testifies. The reason for the theologies that are taught It's to match up the word of God with the reality or the experience of man. What has been lost over the generations of desolation spoken of in Isaiah regarding the walls being being broken down is the truth that God's kingdom is a kingdom of the government with corresponding laws and the rules regarding how it is run. Of this, Satan is not unaware. Although the truth has been lost in man's understanding of covenant and kingdom, citizenship, kingdom mandate, kingdom protocol. So you're saying, well, what, what do you mean by this? Okay, well, let's go. Old Testament, physical picture. New Testament, spiritual truth. If we go, everyone knows the story in the Old Testament of Balaam and the donkey, right? And he was hired by the king of Midian. Um, to go after the people of God and to um, play the, you know, to, to curse them. I said Midian. This is Moab. So, you know, Balaam tried to curse God's people, and he was unable to do it. They were blessed people. So what we see in Numbers 25, 1 to 3, is the destruction of God's people by God because of judgment, because the people of Israel began to play the harlot with the women of Moab. Through progressive revelation, we learn in Numbers 31, verse 6, that this was suggested to them by Balaam. He suggested to them. He say, Basically, he said, listen, I can't curse these people, but God will judge them if they sin. He understood the spiritual laws in play. He said, I'll tell you what, you send in your women, you cause their men to play the harlot with your women, and God himself will destroy them. You don't need me to curse them. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. In operating in sin and profanity, being common, not set apart, God's people transgress kingdom protocol. God is righteous. What does that mean? That means that he operates in equity that he will enforce the spiritual laws he himself established for his kingdom. When it comes to to speaking these words as as the the scriptures are calling us to do, to use our words to, to bring in the kingdom of God, 
sometimes what's in play is not that our words are not carrying the authority. Perhaps there is a greater influence in play that we are unaware of. As we continue in our study, we'll be discussing what these greater factors that influence our reality may be. My testimony has been, many times as I was learning this, I would use my words to affect change, and I would see no change. And what became a, a, a mantra, as Adam could, can attest, Lord, what is it I don't know I don't know? Because your word says this, my reality is do, I'm doing what you're saying and it's not happening. I know that your word is true and that you don't lie. The breakdown has to be on my end. I don't understand. Please show me. What's going on here? If our words don't seem to affect change, our response should be to seek the Lord and ask for revelation rather than assuming our reality trumps God's truth and perverting his word so that it matches and supports our experience. And worse, multiplying this transgression by teaching this perversion of God's word to others. Matthew 5.19 states, Whosoever then annuls one of the least of these commands and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That word annul, your, your Bible might say um, whoever um, stops or ceases, whatever. It doesn't matter what your scriptures say. It's the same Greek word. That word annul by definition means to declare as not a part of oneself anymore. When we take any part of God's word and we declare that this is not a part of my life anymore, then we're least in the kingdom. Why? Because when we don't use what we've been given to accomplish a great work, then a great work is not accomplished. A small work is all that we're capable of doing that's why we're least. We're accomplishing the least. We want to be careful not to say when it comes to God's word, this is God's word, but it's not a part of my life anymore. We don't want to annul the word of God, nor teach someone else to do the same, to declare this is not a part of our lives anymore. At the end of the day, I offer two take-homes. First is this. We all must decide for ourselves what we're going to do with what we've been given. God's given us his word. In his word, he has laid it out. He's made it clear. But as believers, we need to decide for ourselves, am I going to believe it? Yes, no. If the answer is no, it's, you're done, it's over. If the answer is yes, the next question is, well, then will I do it? Will I obey it? There's a lot of people who believe it and don't do it. However we answer these questions will significantly impact our walk of victory literally minute by minute, day by day, year by year, lifetime by lifetime. So um, those are... You know, those are just some of the things that I wanted to share with regards to, you know, our words and what are we going to do with them. 
And um, it's interesting because we saw in the book of Hebrews where God said, surely this people, God said, I was angry with this generation. And I swore to this generation, surely they shall not enter my wrath. He goes on to say, my people always err in their hearts because they have not known my ways. What God is offering through his word and through this study is for his people to know his ways, but they may not err in their heart, but they may come into his rest. My exhortation to anyone who's listening is to give God permission to teach you what he wants you to know and to receive what he's offering. No, that's really good. I know that... um... You know, when you're when you're thinking about words, I know that James says it really well, but I know that it gets jumbled up. And what I mean by that is I'm just going to actually read the in James, and it's in chapter 3, verse 8. It says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of of God. I'm going to stop right there. So this is what happens. We are loving God. We're saying, Jesus, I love you. Thank you so much. You are so wonderful. Man, you are so beautiful. And then we turn around and then we slam or slander the very image and likeness of God in his people. So we do not see Jesus in others. And then that's a problem because if we don't see Jesus in others and their potential to be like him and walk like him, then we're tearing them down and we don't see them how God sees them. We don't see them as sons and daughters of the Most High. We don't see them as royalty. And I know that people go back to, but no human being can tame the tongue. I agree from that standpoint. Humans cannot tame the tongue, but God can, because nothing is impossible for him. And if he's given you a new heart, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and if your heart is filled with love and compassion, you will speak that out of your mouth. So I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, they accept people slandering others because, well, nobody can tame the tongue. No human can. You're right, but you've been given a divine nature. You've been created new. All things in you are now new because you're a new creation. So yes, with it we bless our Lord and Father, but we do not have to curse the very people that were made in the likeness of God because if we see God in them, if we see their potential, that they're sons and daughters of the Most High, we won't be cursing them. We'll be building them up. We'll be seeing, let's say, where they may be lacking and we'll be like, hey, you know what? You weren't created for that. You weren't created that. You weren't made for that. I know that's not who you really are because who you really are is a son. 
Now it also says, from the same mouth come blessing and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You see that? See how Paul, when you keep continuing reading and take it in context, he's like, these things should not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? You see, like, so now Paul is, is calling these people out. He's like, no, there's no way. There is no way that this should be. And I can't stress that enough because this is what uh, is so important in our walk. Because our words have so much power behind them. Because they're coming from a position of authority. And I look at it, the story that I have in my life, when I was studying all of this, when I was studying all of this, I remember I was a coach of uh, a boys basketball team, high school boys, and I remember this one player, just, he kept falling. He just, would. he was very, let's say, um, clumsy. And I said something, and I literally spoke this out, and I said, let's say his name is, is John, and I'll be like, John, you're always falling down. And I said this, and then the Lord literally spoke to me, and he's like, what are you doing? You are speaking that into existence. What are you doing? And within one minute, he fell down again, and he tore his ACL. And the Lord's like, this is how powerful your words are. And he was one of my best players. And then that's when I went to him. And a week later, and this is me, I was crying. I was crying that night. And I was interceding for him. Because I knew that my words were so powerful. They're there to bless or they're there to curse. And it's so important that we understand that. And actually, it was later in the week um, that I, I laid hands and I prayed for him. And, you know, they got the MRI back and they found out that the, the ACL was actually growing back together. So he didn't need surgery. And then he ended up finishing out the season. Now, he had a torn ACL. It was confirmed. And then... The MRIs like, man, it, it's growing back for some reason. Okay, that's the power of the Lord, all right? And praise the Lord for that, because I know I was, I was beating myself up based off of what I had said. And you can say this about anything. If you are speaking negatively, it's not kingdom. You're speaking death upon somebody because it's from the world. And death is a lesser state. You're pulling them down to a lesser state instead of pulling them up. Life pulls people up. And I will always remember that moment. And that's when I realized the power of the words. And that also deals with speaking about yourself. If you're always speaking negatively about yourself, if you're always speaking very critical about yourself, you're not seeing yourself how God sees you. And we tear ourselves down. We are almost our worst enemy. 
because we have this perspective, and this is that kingdom of, of, we don't have the kingdom of God perspective. We have the kingdom of darkness's perspective. So then we'll, we're starting to use our words to tear ourselves down instead of building us up in love. And that's why it says we need to love others or treat others the way we want to be treated. Of course, we need to be able to see ourselves how God sees us. If we're loving, we see that we're able to love ourselves and then we're able to then love others because of who we've been created, the image that we've been created in. And that's one of my the testimonies that that really does uh, stick with me. And I can't, can't say that enough, how I know that the Lord does not want to hear his saints saying those things about others, those things about themselves. And he wants to set you free from that. And that's what he did on the cross. And that's all I have about as far as our words go and how powerful they are. And Debbie, do you have anything else you want to share? Just one last thing as you were talking, God brought this to my mind as well. We read in um, Proverbs, it says, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, thou hast established strength because of thine enemies to cause them to fail. One of the most wonderful things that I remember feeling as I was walking in this was the Lord, you know, Satan, he's always bringing the seed into my life. He's so powerful. You know, he's so strong. He's been around for, for thousands of years, millennium. He's smarter than I am. And as I was reading and delving into this understanding on my words. It was like the light dawned, and God said, it's not how big the enemy is that's standing up against you. It's how big the authority is that's in you. You know, going back, I'll get back to that scripture verse in just a minute. I'm going to preface it here. Just as you had mentioned earlier, with the policeman and walking in and that was under the authority but he instituted his authority with his words he said stop in the name of the law he could walk into a room and be staring at you know a drug dealer thug who's all muscle 220 pounds you know benching whatever is a large amount of weight, <laughs> you guys know. And this policeman can walk in there, a scrawny, 150-pound little guy. And the thug will stop. And he will submit, not, not to the, the size or to the, you know, the, the, the commanding presence of this police officer, but he will bow in his largeness to the authority carried by this little guy. It wasn't, it's, 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 it's like, you know, we've all heard that, that old adage, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And God has seen that our enemy is even as that drug dealer, 
He's big. He's bad. He's strong. He, he, he bears a commanding presence. We look up and we're overwhelmed. And God has said, I'm going to make this easy for you. Use your words. And I'm like, well, I, I can do that. But well, yes, you can. Because he said, out of the mouths of infants, even if you're a babe in Christ, out of the mouths of nursing babes, even if you're only accustomed to the milk of the word and not the meat of the doing. This is for those who are young in their faith. This is for those who are new in their beliefs. And God is saying, because of my enemies, they're big, and because they're strong, and because they're ferocious and overwhelming, I'm going to establish in you strength. And even though you're a babe in Christ, even though you're only accustomed to the milk of the word, because you have yet to grow up into this, you need more time, you need more instruction, that will not be an issue for you. Because I'm going to establish strength even in my babe, because my enemy is so strong. So, and every mother knows that. We are completely controlled by an infant. You know, when those vocal cords come into play, we jump. We submit. And, you know, they're crying they need fed, we feed them. They're crying they need help, we hold them. We jump and we submit. And that's how God ordained his believers to exercise dominion and authority over an enemy that's bigger than them and stronger than them. It's extremely simple. Use your words. We can all do that, and we can all have the victory. And when I discovered that, it was so freeing. I felt finally empowered, empowered in Christ. But in also, you know, let's not, let's not discount this. Even as a human, even as Debbie, I, you know, I, I felt like I don't have to be beaten up by the circumstances of life anymore because the Christ in me that Debbie chooses with my free will to employ. That's where we come in. Again, it's not a pricey, but we can't discount that we do have a part to play in all this. We make the choice to believe it, and we make the choice to operate in it, and then we receive the blessing of the victory having done so. So it is the power of God that flows through me, but it was my free will that chose to allow it. It was my mind that chose to believe it. And God established things because, trust me, I was a babe in this. I was an infant. And I found victory in my words, through the scriptures, through the equipping that God gave me. No, that's really good. And um, I know with that being said, we're running out of time here. And uh, the one thing that came to my mind, the scripture verse that came to my mind, just the, the power of, let's say, destroying those strongholds in people's lives with the words that we use, um, it deals with Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 16, and it talked about uh, coming out of his mouth, this being Jesus, this come, this being Jesus, is coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. And that is the power that comes out of Jesus' mouth, that double-edged sword that is there to, you know, destroy the, the works of the enemy. And we have that potential to destroy those strongholds just by our words, by building people up in love. And and setting them free. 
And it all deals with the prompting of the Holy Spirit and what he is speaking to us. And then we are then to go out and go forth and preach this gospel, proclaim this gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, all the things uh, that we've been commanded to do. And we've been given everything, everything. God has not held back. We've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. We've been um, so blessed with every, everything. And um, with that being said, that's it. That's the, the we're out of time here. Next uh, week, next episode, we have healing, healing. Uh, and we're going to be uh, talking with Debbie Simpson on that one also. We're going to be dissecting and taking apart this idea of healing and what that looks like uh, right now, today, and um, kind of tearing down some of those lies uh, in your life uh, concerning this idea of healing. All right. Thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you, Adam.